This is Ed Cohen, your host on Global Radio Talk Show. It's a broadcast service of globalbusinessnews.net. Coming to you today from San Diego, California, with an assist from Las Vegas, and speaking with our special guest, really special guest, Christine Morlay, CSP, all the way from Nice, south of France. Hello, Christine. Hello, Ed. So glad to be here with you today. Yeah, comment allez-vous? Very, very well, very well, I'm very well. Merci, très, très bien. Je vais super bien. Bonsoir à tous. Yeah, ça va, ça va. Okay, what is a CSP? Well, CSP means Certified Speaking Professional. It's the highest designation that a speaker can earn in the speaking industry. Well, so then you are a professional speaker. Does that mean that you have to learn new things all the time to be fresh? Or is it something that you already have within your repertoire? <laughs> I would say both. You always need to be refreshed anyway. You know, I train myself and I and educate myself all the time. You need, of course, become a CSP. You need to have given a 100 keynote presentations over a five-year time period, earn $625,000 within the five years time period, keynoting only for at least 20 Customers who give you a notation, if you don't get 7.5, you're fired. And you have to earn 32 education credits from America, educating yourself within the five-year period of time, which is a, it's a, I would call the speaking Everest. <laughs> it sounds like the Olympics. It does, yeah, it is. So let me ask you a couple of questions. I'm looking at your LinkedIn page, and it says, Shea Formation Conferenciers. I'm sure I'm not saying that correctly. So why don't you first say that properly and also tell us what it means. I'm a professional speaker and speech coach. After having given so many conferences all around the world, now my target is to help people reach the highest level when they speak to any type of audience. So it says here on your LinkedIn that you're a positive influence specialist, delivering inspiring keynote presentations at regional conferences, annual meetings, annual conventions, but more specifically that you are a well-regarded and much-in-demand coach for senior executives on how to structure their keynotes and business presentations. So go a little deeper on that. What does structure the keynotes mean? Well, structuring a keynote, first of all, a keynote speech has a specific posture. You see, a lot of people, when they speak to any type of audience, start by saying, hello, I'm Ed Cohen. I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. And then I would stop and say, bullshit. Nobody wants to hear this. Just hit the road with your key thing, what you have to say. So I think, you know, a good keynote is having a strong introduction. Like in my keynote, when I used to give keynotes all around the world on influencing skills and in negotiating skills, I would start by 99% negotiators fail for three reasons. First, because they don't know what they want. Second, because they don't dare to ask. Third, because they built a little scenario in their brain where they fail already and they don't ask anyway. So you see, this is the headline. So a lot of people don't know. So I, when I'm talking about keynote speaking, it's really about having the right posture right from the start. 
You know, I'm reading through this, and I'm really impressed with your motto here that says, you are not born an influencer, you become one. You may (laughs) get what you want if you ask for it in the right way. So you are not born an influencer, but you can become one. So what part of education is that? Is That's how you will learn to be a speaker, correct? Yeah, it's not only about speaking, it's also about promoting yourself. One of my great American friend, uh, he's, if he's listening to us, it's Orwell Ray Wilson. He's based in Colorado in Boulder. He says speaking is about 10% speaking and 90% marketing. Wow. So it's, it's not only about speaking, you see, because professional speaking means getting paid to speak. Now, you get paid up front or after you deliver? Well, we have a specific contract, and if any speakers listen to us today, I would highly recommend to get the fees before you speak. This is in the terms of our contract anyway. Any type of company who wants to hire a professional speaker, they can pay 50% when they order, and they need to pay 50% on the delivery day at the latest. So before the event, or can that be after the event? No, because, you know, this is the reason why a certified speaking professional have a specific guarantee for that. Because when you hire a certified speaking professional a speaker, really, uh, who speaks on a professional basis, you don't take many risks, you see. Of course, customers have sometimes issues to pay speakers before they speak. And that's often for non-professional speakers who sometimes, uh, you know, the organizers might take a risk when they hire speakers who they don't know. So one of my first advice to any type of speaker or even, you know, corporate speakers would be to have a corporate video, you know, a demo, a demo video to really show them in action. That's the main thing. And a lot of speakers don't have this. And so, of course, the organizer doesn't want to pay before up front because he doesn't know you. He has not got any sense of your energy on stage on the platform. Well, this is fascinating, and I'm really honored to have you as our guest on Global Talk. So I want to now ask you to help our audience. Our audience is, let me quickly describe, generally speaking, 90%, based on Google Analytics, 90% of our audience is business to business, and about 60% of that are involved with corporate large companies in the HR talent management sphere, and more specifically, about half of that number are involved in recruitment and talent mobility on a global basis. So Mm -hmm. getting people to speak clearly and enunciate carefully so that they are understood across time, across cultures, across borders, very, very important and growing much more important each day as global business develops for any size business. So I want you to help our audience understand that this is not being a, excuse the expression, being a huckster or a slick salesman. It is about coaching and counseling on presentation skills and the power of personality and clarity. So if I were to meet you, not so much in an elevator, but if we were to meet at a business function or at a cocktail party, 
in a nice setting, a professional setting. How would I go about introducing myself to you and to your valuable contacts standing next to you without being offensive? Well, there are various ways to introduce yourself in at a network event. But the best thing is to say first name, last name function. Okay, so Christine Morley, keynote speaker and coach. Okay, or Edwin Cohen, business producer and specific HR consultant or whatsoever you do. Okay, and then immediately afterwards, I help target group or avatar, what I call avatar, is the ideal customer, the ideal person you want to talk to. I help senior executive of Fortune 500 companies who have issues, who have problems, who, for my pitch, would be who have issues structuring their presentation and really go straight to the point. And then you give the benefit, become memorable. So it means... I am first name, last name, function. I help target group avatar who have problems, issues, such and such problems and issues, get benefits. So this is really interesting because then people are really interested much more in the problems and the issues. So if the person you talk to identifies herself having those issues, actually, it would immediately resonate. You see what I mean? Yes. So how long does this take? Well, this takes, depending on the length of the function, you know, <laughs> some people have really long <laughs> functions, but usually it takes between 7 seconds to 30 seconds, which is the time you need from the ground floor to the 15th floor in New York. <laughs> okay, so so let me practice with you, okay? And please jump All right. in and just, you know, correct me. So I am uh, Ed Cohen, and... I am a publisher, and I produce uh, training conferences with uh, Global HR around the world. And we do this on a profitable basis. And is that good enough? No, it would not be good enough because the first sentence, I'm Ed Cohen, publisher, blah, blah, blah. That's great. That's great. I help target group. I help senior HR and talent managers yep. who have such issues and who would be the issues they would have, reach benefits. You see, so what are the issues of your target group? You can have actually many different pitches. You see, that's what people usually are not aware about, is that you can have at least four or five or six different pitch, depending on the type of avatar, the type of target group you speak to. I see. So one of my avatars, I think of the movie, you know, one of my avatars, mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my, my groups is the corporate manager of mobility function. Right. right? And the what very, are the issues? Very specific. And the very issue is, first of all, they're very busy people because they have to handle compliance and immigration. All right. And they have many stakeholders, not only within the corporate structure, but many service providers who revolve around the chore, <laughs> the the project of managing relocation so it doesn't get screwed up and that the people themselves remain happy and whole and energetic right. and engaged on the job without being distracted because of the relocation issues, whether okay. it's in transit or once they get to the destination. All right. Especially if it's a different culture. 
Of course. So the corporate manager of mobility, who is the avatar, all right, has many responsibilities and is often understaffed. They struggle with time, don't they? They have issues. They struggle with time and and they struggle with engaging their communities. Yeah, the stakeholders are multiple. Okay. So you see, you could then say, I'm Ed Cohen, a publisher and owning and a business owner. I help HR managers or HR talent managers who struggle with time and engaging their staff or their community. And then immediately comes after the benefit. What is the real benefit they get? And be careful. A lot of people mismatch the benefit, the characteristics and the advantages. If I talk about a computer, you see just a basic laptop computer. It's a 13-inch screen. It has a QWERTY table. It has That's the characteristics, okay? The advantages is that it's very light, okay? It weighs 900 grams, for instance, below a kilogram, okay? And the benefit is that it really helps me get rid of my backache when I stand in long queues at the airport. See what I mean? So a lot of people really are confused and, and mismatch benefits, characteristics, and advantages. So what people want to hear is that once you've helped those people who are HR talent manager, who struggle with time and have people have issues engaging their communities, what are the benefits that really feel after you've spoken to them, after you've helped them? What are their benefits when they listen to your podcast, for instance? What is it that they really gain as a benefit? How do they feel afterwards? Now, let's go back to yourself, okay? And let's just say you and I are meeting at a cocktail event, and I ask you what you do, and, you know, how do you make a living? So just tell me about your seven seconds here about right. how you would respond to me. How, how would it? And then I explain how, how I designed it. Yes. So I'm Christine Morlet, keynote speaker and speech coach. I help senior executives from Fortune 500 companies who struggle with the structure of their presentations become really memorable. I am the positive influence specialist. So it's I am first name, last name, function. I help target group. Okay, so my target group is very clear. It's a senior executive of Fortune 500 companies who really have their struggle with their public presentation and they don't know how to structure really how to hit the roads correctly when they start speaking and that really help them become memorable and that's a real benefit because everyone wants to become memorable and then you can add your brand at the end of your talk what do you mean by brands well the brand is the three keywords that really define you it's something that you get actually There's a very nice guy who I learned from whose name is William Aruda who has designed a very nice tool whose name is 360 Degrees Reach. And that's a a tool that helps you really find out more about yourself. You can actually send email to your community with a couple of questions which you will then first answer. You would first have to answer to those questions yourself. And then you ask your community and it sends email to the community totally confidentially. So you don't really know who is answering the questions. And that's really interesting. For instance, for myself, it really helped me understand that what people get from me when I've spoken to them, when I've coached them, is really feeling much more positive about what they do. 
because people have doubt. You see, a lot of managers have doubt in what they do. And this is how I got smart. Positive Influence Specialist. Because the name Positive, out of 700 people who I sent this questionnaire, this survey to, more than 150 people answered the survey. And out of the 150 people, at least 60 of them crossed the word positive when they talk about me. Interesting. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So the brand designed, the, the, and then I use this brand to sign all my posts on LinkedIn. I use this brand to sign all my emails, all my interaction that I have with my community. So then this brand becomes me. See, me is equal to the brand. It's very interesting. And this is what senior people should do. Also to become more memorable inside of their own group, inside of their own company. Because it's a real issue sometimes. You know, when you work in big, big companies, large groups, people don't really recognize you. Just a number between numbers. See what I mean? Yes. Now, there's a sandwich here, isn't there? Describe this thing as, okay, you're building a sandwich. So is it a skyscraper or is it a thin sandwich? A good speech should be a good presentation. Of course, it's a very thin sandwich when it has to be between 7 sec and 30 sec, all right? But if it's a, let's imagine a 10-minute presentation, which is basically the case for executives who have to make a project presentation, for instance, then it has to have a strong intro. The intro can be a fact, it can be a quote, it can be a statistic, or it can be a little history, a little story that you tell that ends, that leads to the key point, you see? And that's how you start. So that's the first part of the sandwich. It needs to be strong because it it holds all the pieces of ham and meats and salad and tomato that you put over it. (laughs) See what I mean? It needs to be really strong and emotional. You see, that's that's how I use the metaphor of sandwich. It's very strong because people, out of all my coaches, they remember this as being something really memorable for them, the sandwich. So the strong first part of the sandwich, the introduction, okay? Then you have to make a promise when you speak to people. You have to give people the promise. Like if you go back to my keynote, how I start my keynote, 99%, blah, 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 okay? And then my promise is that what you will learn within this 30 minutes talk is how to never, never, never make concessions anymore in your life without getting something back in return. And this is very interesting because it gives immediately the promise. So people then stop looking at their PDA and their iPhone and they go back to you. They listen to you carefully then. See what I mean? So your strong intro, then a promise, and then you start with first point. First point, I'm going to teach you how to prepare a good negotiation. And then you explain the first point and you to illustrate the first point. If you have the chance to have visual aids, you can have pretty or PowerPoint or whatsoever behind you that would illustrate your point. If you don't have any visual aid, you just need to have a strong metaphor, okay? And then you move, you have a good transition to the to the second point, and then explanation, illustration, and then transition to the third point, explanation, illustration, transition to the conclusion. This would be approximately a 30-minute talk and a reasonable sandwich, all right? But a lot of people do set up mega, mega big burgers where you actually can't remember anything <laughs> because there's so many slices of ham and meat and, and tomato and salad in the middle that no one remembers anything. See what I mean? 
Yeah, so let's go back to building of the sandwich when you talked about a metaphor as opposed to not having a visual aid. And then you mentioned use a metaphor. So explain that, please. Well, I have just used a metaphor. You see, Ed, how to structure a good keynote. A good keynote is like a sandwich. So to use the, the metaphor in the right way, just imagine yourself saying such and such, what I've been explaining to you, is just like. You see? So a keynote is just like a sandwich. And then you explain, as I did it right now, with a metaphor, with the sandwich. And so people understand it very well. Because I use a strong image to illustrate my sandwich. With a strong first slice of the sandwich, then a little bit of mayonnaise or butter, and then to reach the promise. Then another transition, which is a little bit of mayonnaise and butter again to introduce the first point of your development of the speech. We see what I mean. And then it gives two or three slices. If you have 10 minutes, one piece of meat, one explanation, illustration. And then if you have up to 30 minutes, you can go up to three points, which you explain and illustrate. And then you move slowly to the conclusion. And the conclusion must be very strong again, because, you know, nice burgers, wherever you eat them, have nice little top of sandwiches, which you really, you would like to have another one because it's been so good and so nice that you want to have another one. (laughs) And this is how you get hired as a speaker. And this is how you become memorable in a company because people loved your sandwich and they want more from you. Now, shifting from anger to happiness. Anger to happiness, okay? Yeah, yeah. So certainly there are metaphors on how to do all that. Yes, but there are also some specific exercises, you know, even better than metaphors. When you feel angry and to shift to happiness, you just need to anchor yourself in an happiness memory. Like we all have experimented many, many different emotions in our lives, okay? So if you are angry at someone or at something, at a situation, and you want to shift to happiness, you just need to go back You close your eyes, you go back to the near or further past where you have actually experimented that happiness with at least three of your five senses, okay? So you close your eyes and then you see all what was around you when you've been so happy. For instance, it could have been the day of your marriage. (laughs) Ed, you were so happy. I was for, for sure. And so if I close my eyes and I want to go back to that happiness that I felt when I got that ring that my dear husband, which I've been married to the last 33 years, has put on my finger. This made me so happy. And so I see the ring. I see the environment. I see his beautiful blue eyes. I see the Mediterranean Sea that we saw on the golden moon that we had. I see, and this makes me happy. And I will, I use at least three of the key senses, human senses. So I see it. I feel it. Sometimes I even have something in my mouth that reminds me the cake of the wedding. And so this makes me happy again, you see. And so it's not about using metaphors. It's only about using strong anchors to make you feel happy again. And then slowly your anchor will disappear. How long have you been doing this kind of work? You really want me to tell you about my age? No. (laughs) I want you to just tell me how long you've been doing this work. (laughs) Well, I started quite a while ago. I was 29 when I set up my first business. 
It was a business about event marketing. I had an event marketing company that was based in northeast part of France, very close to Germany. His name was Strasbourg. So this is where I lived when I was a younger girl. And I, my first business, I was 29. And I've had many businesses in my life. And I started really training myself, becoming the positive influence specialist who I didn't really know I would become. But it was part of my personality. It was part of my heart, you see. And so this always has been the case since I was, since I started my first business, I was 29. And the second really nice business I set, it was in 2008. I just quit a couple of years before a company who I was really working as a consultant, international consultant. I was consulting all around the world. I did five world tour to actually help people get better deals all around the world, with unions, with senior executives, with co-workers, with anyone, sometimes even with their spouse, you know, between husbands and wives. Because this was in the evening when we had a a glass of wine at the bar, they would ask me, how can I get better deals with my wife? (laughs) Okay. And so they started all when I was very young. And the latest business started in 2008. So it's been more than 10 years now. Almost. We had our 10 years anniversary, business anniversary last January. And well, you know, it, it's going to be great. And this business, I really started when I first stepped into the American ground. I was in New York on August 1st, 2008. And I was sitting in a very big Congress center at the Marquis Marriott in Times Square. And uh, I remember, I will remember this all my life. I was sitting next to one of the greatest speaker ever. He passed away, unfortunately. His name is Dan Pointer. And he was sitting next to me and we were both watching a keynote speaker who was incredible. And I was like the wolf at Texavery. My tongue was just out of my mouth like that. <laughs> and at some stage, Dan asked me a question. He turned at me and says, what's up, girl? What's the matter? And then I said to him, I'm going to do this for a living. I'm going to become a speaker. And then he turns and I say to him, I'll become the first French CSP. And then he turns again and says, you're kidding me. Because, you know, for a French frog like you becoming a CSP, you will never get it. And I said to him, I'll get it for my 50th birthday. And I was 45. And again, it's about positivity. It's about wanting to do things. As I started to tell you, in America, everything is possible. So it became possible for me as well, as a French frog. Okay, now let's go back and think about when you talk to a group, like, for instance, you'll be speaking on December 6th at the Paris Global HR Executive Network. Yeah along with executives from Capgemini and others, mm-hmm. and I thank you, how can you get a group of basically all strangers to you to mm-hmm. become engaged with what you're doing? That's a very interesting question, and thank you for asking, because that's one of the major questions that any speaker should ask themselves. You need to speak with the brain in mind. You see, we have different expectations. Audiences have different expectations and you don't know an audience because you have many different types of brain in an audience. But I would say there would be four different types of brain. The first part of the brain would be the factual brain, really the one that expects a lot of figures and facts about what you say. And then a second part of the brain, which is situated in the left part of the brain, would expect much more kind of details and go more in depth and go and explain how you do things, 
like you've had a lot of how questions tonight, Ed, and that gives me information on your type of brain. You see? So you're very fact-based and how a how person. How can I do this? How can I reach this? That's very interesting. Most people have a how brain, but also you can get rich people in an audience who would be much more sensitive to storytelling, to more kind of interpersonal, to interaction, you see? And then you have the fourth part of the brain, which is much more kind of creative, out-of-the-box thinking, wanting to know how you can help them in the future with their new projects and challenges, you see? And so this is very interesting because it means that you need to be speaking with the brain in mind. And that's the reason why going back to my sandwich again, when you have the first strong introduction, this goes to the limbic right brain, which is the emotional part. You have to start with an emotional quote, with an emotional statement, because this touches the people in the heart and it will set up the link, the invisible link between any speaker and the audience. Okay? Then remember I talked about the promise. The promise will speak to the opposite parts of that brain, which is the fact-based brain. The one that needs to know and to understand why the hell he should listen to you for the next 30 minutes if you don't tell him what you're going to tell him about. See what I mean? And then you move to the explanation part of the brain and give the people the how of what you've been talking, the how of your promise, and then you illustrate. And then you move to the fourth part of the brain where you give people a creativity, illustrations, metaphors, because this part of the brain loves metaphors. And after all, you need to be saying to yourself that people will mostly forget most of what you told them but they will never, never, ever forget how you make them feel. Now, I need to ask you about storytelling. Storytelling okay. is one of the things you mentioned. So storytelling, a lot of people will groan, if not loudly, at least internally, if somebody starts telling a story. So how do you make an opening that leads to a storytelling? It's just like a film because you are a publisher. So imagine you will be a filmmaker, okay? Any good film have a trailer, okay, to yep. actually uh, help people understand where you want them to go. And a good story is a bit like a trailer. You need to go to bring the people in the depth, in the heart of the story within the first 20 seconds. So when you are on any platform, any stage in the world, be sure that the people are in the middle of your story in the, the first 20 seconds. There's a great lady who I would highly encourage you to have a look at. His name is Glenna Salisbury. I learned so much from this lady. She's an American lady. She was a previous teacher at school, and she became one of the biggest, highest, most impressive coach, storytelling coach I know ever on the world, on this planet. So... You need to bring the people within the 21st second and you need at least to describe three of the five senses. When you start a story, you need to set a setting like it was in Alsace. I was six years old, 2nd of February, 19,068. I was coming back from school with my school bag. And every, every morning and every evening, I was passing by a bakery. And it smelled so good. It smelled the chocolate cookie I wanted to eat every day. Though my parents 
didn't have the money to pay me a chocolate cookie every day. But I wanted one every day. And every morning and every evening I was, I was passing that bakery. And then at the end, ah, I stepped in. I didn't have enough money in my pocket. And I said to the baker, you have the best chocolate cookie ever on this planet. And if you give me this one, of course, the biggest one, for 20 cents at this French, French franc, 20 French franc, I will say it's to all my friends and all the mothers will come and get the chocolate cookies from your bakery. And it worked. And I never paid more. And at the end of the day, I got all the chocolate cookies for free. I'm a negotiator. It's in my DNA. <laughs> you see? And that's the stories. And you could even go more in depth. It was very cold. It was snowing. It was, I was freezing. I was walking very slowly because it was so cold. And my school bag was so heavy with the books. You see, you need to be describing what people feel. And this is good, you know, for storytelling. Yes. Did this help? Did this help? <laughs> it's a deliverable. Yes. Thank you. Right. My pleasure. So you tell real life stories and inspirational examples. Mm -hmm. And you do it for corporations, associations, school groups, anybody. Yes. Right? Yes, and also university. I'm still, I'm still a professor. I still teach to international students. In my class, we have 50 different nationalities. This is great. You see, this is something that any type of professional should be doing. When you have a knowledge, when you have an expertise, please share it with the whole world and specifically with young people, with students. Because students have such high expectations that they will never, never forgive you if you are bad. And so you need to be good 100% of time, being good and excellent. This is why I still give uh, courses at university, because students are very, very demanding. They, they don't like dull teachers at university. They want brilliant ones. And this just pumps you up. It pumps your energy, and it pumps you, it enables you to become better and better every day. So is this the Strasbourg Management School? Is that where you... That's right. That's the Strasbourg Management School. I have I have also taught at American School in Paris. I teach a lot at university. I give, I say I give voluntary, I give 100 hours a year to university groups. Because, you know, you don't get paid much to speak at university. But it's so interesting. And of course, what I get my money from is from corporations, from senior executives who I coach. Lately, I have coached someone from Toronto, from Canada, English-speaking Canada. You know, when you are a good coach, you can live in the southeast of France and speak and speak and coach people from all around the world. Now, with all these podcasts, broadcasts, and Zoom and Skype and Uber, and you don't have to travel so much anymore. People will come and reach you in your living room. You can speak just like I'm speaking tonight. So regarding business negotiations, you are a professor, a master in this, as a master of international business. So you help improve negotiating performance, and that is really of interest to me. So in negotiating, I guess there's a structure to understand, isn't it? Oh, yes. Uh, so can you do um, a couple of minutes on that? Yes, of course. There's a structure in everywhere, Ed, you know, (laughs) everywhere. So in the business negotiation, what is the structure? The structure is somebody has something that somebody wants Mm -hmm. or somebody's trying to get you to buy something, right? 
Yes, well, the first thing, the first aim in any negotiation, to my opinion, is mutual gain. You know, of course, I'm not saying each of the parties will have 50-50, like we sometimes we used to say. Someone can have 70 and the other one 30, just as long as the one who has 30 is happy with it. For me, that's the main thing. It's a matter of values as well. So this is, to start, this is what I could say. And the structure of good negotiation is first to ask yourself the major question, what could happen if we don't reach an agreement? Often people ask themselves this question when it's too late, when they fail, and when it's really far too late because they have lost everything. They have lost money, time, and credibility and faith. See what I mean? So the first thing to be asking yourself is what happens if we don't reach an agreement? This is a kind of saying the joker. You know, if it's just like you're playing poker, you have a joker. And this joker is very important for your strategy because this reminds me a very interesting example of a company that was manufacturing an aperitif that's typical southeast of France aperitif. And they were distributing to big retailers all around the world, you know, big retail company. And one of the retailer, two weeks before Chinese New Year, told them, okay, if we don't discount 20%, at least on every bottle, we will dereference you from the whole retail shops, two weeks before the New Year's Eve. Well, what was the question? What happens if we fail? And this saved them 4 million euros because they were about to say yes, but they had just not gone through the right questioning strategy is what happens if we do this? We would create a precedent and the precedent that we will create would be a worldwide precedent. So you know how it goes, a retailer. If one procurement manager gets any type of agreement, it will go all around the world. So it would have cost them more than 4 million euros if they had given up this negotiation. But they really, I came in and they, I, I saved them this money because they had not asked themselves the right question. What happens if we do this? We will create a precedent that will cost us much more than if we give up. So that's, I think, a very, very important question to be asked. What happens if we fail? And so it's just like a scale, you see. The the first part of the scale is deadlock, okay? If we deadlock with anyone, it will cost both money. It will cost us, of course, social pressure, political or social pressure, which will happen on any market, okay, or between two people. And also the time. Would time play against us or for us? Because if these three items are too heavy on the scale, then you should go on the concession strategy, on the negotiation side, which means you would need to do some concessions. But the most important word there is precedent. Because if you create a precedent because you've given some money or if you've made some concessions, then this is really dangerous. And on top of that, if you have said that you would not negotiate for a few days or a few weeks before you start negotiating, you lose something that's even more important. You lose faith and credibility. And this could cost you even more. Well, thank you so much. There's so much to learn from you. I really appreciate well, this. I love it. I mean, I, I love sharing, you know, Ed. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. You know, this is something I do with students and with people very up at senior executive level. I love sharing.
Okay, so what would be the website where people can go and find out more about you? Well, they can go to www.christine, just like with C-H, okay, christine-morley, like Chevrolet. So christine-morley.com, that's my uh, website, speaker's website. And the negotiating skills website is very interesting, is uh, negotiation-training.eu negotiation-training.eu that's about negotiating skills the, the best thing is to go on my linkedin profile or you know on my about me profile the about me profile you can find all my websites and everything it's a very simple profile and you can find me christine morley on linkedin is even the easiest way to get reach out to me and my co-workers and people who work in the team would be very happy to answer your questions because we still continue sharing all right, this is great. So once more, the email is... The best way to reach out is info, I-N-F-O, at christine-morley.com. So this reached my PA, and she will answer all the questions, and this reached me directly, even if I'm around the world. Info at christine-morley.com. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Christine Morley, a positive influence specialist, and delivering keynote presentations at conferences and meetings. She likes to consider herself as an usher. So an usher means what to you? <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, uh, helping people reach the highest level they expect for themselves and for their business. And with that, I thank you, Christine Morley, for being my guest today on Global Talk, a broadcast service of globalbusinessnews.net. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been an honor to, to be listened by all your listeners around the world. Thank you for listening to me and happy to share more. And thank you. Okay, this is Ed Cohen signing off from San Diego and Christine signing off from Nice, south of France. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Au revoir. À bientôt. I think to myself, what a wonderful 